I talked a little bit this morning about some of the fears that we have to deal with in our life. This morning, or this evening, I want to speak to you on the subject, how to transform our fears. How do we deal with the fears? All of us have certain fears. We have inherited them from Adam, and we have to deal with them in our lives. James begins his epistle with a new look on our trials that we have in our life. And he says there in chapter 1 of James and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Most of us don't think, oh boy, I've got another trial. We don't look at it that way, but James said we ought to be joyful about it. Why? Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The objective of the Christian life is to know God and the power of His resurrection. That's what the Apostle Paul said, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. However, that will not happen unless we experience what preceded that, Paul said, the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. The Lord Jesus Christ is our supreme example of how the Christian life works. And in Luke chapter 4, in verse 1, we read about Jesus. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I talked this morning about being filled with the Spirit. Obviously, the Lord was filled with the Spirit, but then it says, He returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the next 40 days after that of fasting and temptation were a major trial in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we read in verse number 14 of Luke 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of Him through all the region round about. Paul, as well, in the New Testament, affirms for us the need of our going through trials in our life before we receive the power of God in our life. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So Peter and Paul and the testimony of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ ex- explain for us that there has to be in our life oftentimes trials before we experience the power of God in our lives. The Lord oftentimes takes us through the fire. And when He takes us through the fire, what happens is we go through the fire and then He broadens the scope of our influence and testimony in the world around us. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to look at those verses again that Craig read for us. Look at verse number 7 again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse number 7. And he says, Paul is speaking here, he had had this vision of heaven, got to see things that nobody else had had the opportunity of seeing. And he said, lest I should be exalted above measure, 
Through the abundance of the revelation, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Most of us, if we'd had an experience like Paul did, and we'd been taken up to heaven and seen heaven, we would have called the news media, we would want to make the, the rounds, and we would have had all kinds of, of interviews and tell what we saw. Paul said, God didn't want me to be lifted up in pride, and so instead he sent a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that, that thorn in the flesh was. Some think it was bad eyesight. Some think it was physical problems like back problems. There's a lot of speculation, but Paul does tell us this. He says it was a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. You ever have something that you prayed for desperately, and God didn't take it away? We're in good company. Amen? The Apostle Paul didn't have it taken away. Verse 9, And he said, God said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I what? Strong. God has to bring the trials that weaken us, that bring us to the end of ourself, cause us to cry out to God and depend upon Him, and then He gives us the power and the strength that we need in our life. If we want to experience the power of God's Spirit, we have to first be filled with His Spirit, and then we have to pass the test that He brings in our life. A test is simply being obedient to the rhemas of God's Word in spite of intense opposition from Satan. God will give us some direction in, in His Word, but Satan will oppose us, won't he? He's our enemy. He'll come after us. Satan is fearful of the damage that those rhemas, those verses of Scripture that God has given us insight and direction in our life, Satan is fearful that those Scripture references will bring damage to his kingdom, to Satan's kingdom, Therefore, we have to be prepared for strong opposition that's going to come to us. Most of us have the idea, if I just do what's right, and if I live for God and serve Him and do what I'm supposed to do, then everything's going to be nice and easy and smooth for me in the Christian life. And when we have a bump in the road, when we have a trial, when we have a problem, it ought to be a time when we ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that has caused this? but it may well be the enemy's attacking us to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Or the enemy wants to destroy our testimony or keep us from being a testimony for the Lord. There's several ways that Satan opposes us. This is not there in your notes, but I just want to mention them by way of introduction. First of all, he'll try to block our understanding of the rhemas, those verses of Scripture God gives to us, about God's rule and direction for our life. God gives direction for our life through His Word, and Satan wants to block our understanding so that we don't know or don't do what God wants us to do. Matthew 13, 19 says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom 
and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. Now we think of that mostly of unsaved people hearing the gospel, but that happens to saved people too. God gives us instruction from his word and Satan wants to steal that away. He doesn't want us to understand what God wants us to do. Satan even misquoted scriptures, a verse of scripture to the Lord Jesus in an effort to try to get the Lord to violate the word of God. So he'll try to block our understanding. He doesn't want us to understand what God wants us to do, what God's will and God's direction for our life. Secondly, he'll try to discourage us with opposing or with opposition and ridicule that sometimes even will come from other believers. You know, it's interesting sometimes when God gives you direction for your life, sometimes other Christians will say, I don't know about that. <laughs> You're crazy. Why would God ever want you to do that? And sometimes we can get opposition and ridicule even from other believers. Matthew 13, 21 says, For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. If we aren't careful, we get offended. 3 John 9 and 10, the apostle John was opposed by a man by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes was a leader in the church. And he says, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Diotrephes didn't want John to come there. How would, what would you think of if the apostle John wanted to come and speak at our church? And I said, nah, John, I don't think you ought to come to our church. You know, you think you're crazy, you know. That'd be like me telling David Gibbs not to come or, or telling somebody like that, you know, we don't want you at our church, you know. Uh, but we can get and experience opposition, sometimes from our family, sometimes from other believers, and so we have to be careful. The third way Satan attacks and opposes us is he will even try to distract us with the concerns of life even with making a living. We can get so involved in making a living, taking care of all the responsibilities of our life, that we fail to do what God speaks to us to through His Word, those rhemas that He gives to us. Matthew 13, 22 says, He that heareth the Word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the Word, and he becometh unfruitful. The care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Through the years, I've seen Christians who have not followed what God wanted them to do because they were con too concerned about making money and being successful as far as the world is concerned. But if we're going to overcome these tests, if we're going to overcome these trials and temptations, particularly as we think about the ones that Satan offends us and then also the trials that God brings into our life, we must obey the Word of God. Do what God tells us to do as He speaks to our heart. And that will produce great results in our life for God's kingdom and for God's glory. In the process of doing that, God will transform the fears in my heart and in my life. 2 Timothy 2 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the tests are going to come. The trials are going to come. 
the fears. How do we overcome them? How do we transform them? I'm going to talk about two of them tonight, and there's two more that we'll look at later on. First of all, we want to transform the fear of rejection. Transform the fear of rejection. Did you know that this is the first fear that Adam experienced after he disobeyed God's word about the forbidden fruit? He feared God's rejection. And so when God came back to the Garden of Eden and he called Adam, what was Adam's response? He hid himself, didn't he? And he said to the Lord that he was afraid when he heard God calling him. We inherit that same fear from Adam. It's passed down to us, the fear of rejection. It's deeply rooted in our DNA and strongly embedded in our reins and in our life. That fear will cause great destruction in your life and in my life if we do not allow it to be transformed by the rhemas of the Word of God. Now, when we have this fear of rejection, how do we know that? What is our response? What is our natural response to the fear of rejection? There are several things that we do naturally. First of all, we strive for the praise and approval of people rather than the praise and approval of God. You see, if I'm afraid of being rejected, then I'm going to try to please people. I'm going to try to do what they want so that I please them and I'm not rejected them, rather than seek for the approval and the praise of God. If I do what God wants, if I do what He leads me to do, then He praises and He is approving of me. Second natural response is, we promote our own name and reputation rather than the name and reputation of God. See, in some situations, we don't talk about the Lord because we're afraid people will reject us. And so, and so instead of lifting God's name, instead of talking about the Lord Jesus and what He's done for us, we would rather talk about us and our name and our reputation instead of God's. Our third natural response is we begin to compare our achievements to those of other people, rather than to God's work in my life. Compare my achievements with other people. You know, you can always find somebody that, around you that you would think I'm better than they are. Well, I don't do what they do. I didn't act like that. I didn't do... And, and we can compare ourselves with others and make ourselves feel good. One of the things people do, we, we do with gossip is... We tell things about other people so that it makes them look worse, and in making them look worse, we think that makes us look better. Our natural response to fear of rejection is compare ourselves to the achievements of others rather than to God's work in our life. What's God doing? What's God want to do in my life? And then the fourth response is feeling envious towards those that appear to be better or more attractive than I am rather than being grateful for what God has given me. Again, we can find people around us who are doing more, or whom we will think are more successful, or have accomplished more. And if we aren't careful, we become envious of them, instead of just saying, you know what, thank God for what He's doing in me. For what He's given me to do. We talked this morning a little bit about the gifts that the Spirit gives to us. And He doesn't give us all the same gifts. He doesn't call all of us to be a preacher or to be a singer or to be a, a pianist. He doesn't call all of us or gift all of us to do the same things. And so we don't have to be envious towards somebody else who we may think gets more glory or is more glamorous or whatever. 
we can just thank God that He can do anything with us. Amen? You know, God has a purpose and a plan for every one of us. And our goal ought to be to fulfill God's will for my life. That's the true definition of success. It's finding and doing the will of God for your life. If God's will for your life is to be a preacher, then do it. If God's will for your life is to be a, a, a trash collector, then do it. Whatever God's will is for you. And it can be anything in between. And you know what? One of those is not better than the other if it's God's will. Amen? If it's God's will for my life. So we don't have to feel envious, but that's our natural response. Now, the reason we respond in those ways is because there are some lies in which that fear is based. The devil lied to Adam and Eve, didn't he? And he'll lie to you and to me. So this fear of rejection, what are the lies that we believe that cause us to fail in this area of rejection? First of all, there's the lie that the approval of people is more important to my life than the approval of God. That's a lie from the devil, isn't it? Is the approval of people more important than the approval of God? Absolutely not. So then I don't have to spend all my life working and, and striving to please people. I ought to spend my life trying to please God and to do what He wants. The second lie is the lie that my abilities and achievements are more significant than God's work in and through my weaknesses. My abilities and achievements. In other words, it's more important that I achieve, that I succeed, as far as what I'm concerned, than let God work through my weaknesses. How many of you have some weaknesses? <laughs> we all do, don't we? Remember what Paul said there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He said, for when I am weak, then am I made strong. In our weaknesses, we find the strength of the Lord. And so, the lie is that my abilities and achievements are more significant than God's work in and through my weaknesses. The third lie is the lie that I can gain the acceptance from people by lowering my moral standards. I can gain the acceptance from people by lowering my moral standards. You know, I've seen that through the years as a pastor. I've seen people lower their moral standards to gain the acceptance of people. And you know what happens? When we lower our moral standards, people no longer respect us. And we destroy the testimony that we had for the Lord. That's why as God's people, we're to be different from the world. That's why God calls us peculiar people. Now granted, some of you are more peculiar than others. We're peculiar people. As far as the world's concerned, we don't fit into their, their lifestyle. Our life is different. But we must not lower our standard in order to gain their acceptance. You know... If I don't do a certain thing, then they're going to reject me. The young people, as they grow up, they begin to have to deal at an early age with kids in the public schools who will say, go ahead and try the drugs or try the cigarettes or try the alcohol. There's men and women sometimes on the job in companies and businesses. And there's a dinner there and the wine is there. I remember some years ago when I went, my first trip that I took to Israel, I went with a group called Bridges for Peace. 
There was a, another man, Barry Turner, who was a youth pastor at Tri-County Baptist Church. He and I went on that trip. He was the only other person I knew on that trip. But in almost every restaurant we went to, and this was a group of Christian people, in almost every restaurant they served wine with our meals, and Barry and I were the only ones that didn't re- drink the wine. Oh, go ahead, have a drink. It won't matter. And now today, even churches are teaching that moderate drinking is acceptable. God says, wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging, and whoso is deceived thereby is not wise. Don't lower your standards in order to gain the acceptance of people. Now, there's some verses of Scripture that will help us to transform that fear of rejection. Let me give you several verses very quickly. First of all, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 6 says, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. The fear of rejection is a clear confirmation that we have an entirely wrong view of life. If I live under the fear of rejection, I've got the wrong view of life. Life is not a matter of people giving me their approval. Life is a matter of us giving to them the treasures of God that He has entrusted to us through His Word. We are stewards of that. Life is not a matter of people giving us their approval. Our most valuable treasure that we have is our time. We've received a limited amount of it. Each day we all have 24 hours, don't we? We don't necessarily all have the same number of days, but we have that time and it's valuable. Its value is measured by the fact that in America our annual health care costs have now reached over $3 trillion. Why do we spend $3 trillion on health care? Because we want more time, Right? And one-third of that $3 trillion is spent during the last month of our life in an effort to extend our time on earth. I thought that was interesting when I read that. A third of our health costs is spent during the last month of people's life in an effort to extend. Hey, can can I say something to you? Heaven's not so bad, is it? I've said from our prayer list sometimes, we spend more time praying to keep people out of heaven than we do to keep people out of hell. Amen? It's not to to say don't pray for people, for, for God to heal them, but it's not such a bad thing if God decides not to heal you here and he heals you over there. You don't have to live in fear of death. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil... Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God has given to all believers a promise that we as believers are to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. He's also given us some some precise instructions as to how that's going to be done. But in order to carry that out, we have to redeem the time. When you go shopping, some of you who are thrifty shoppers will hand over a little piece of paper called a coupon, and you will redeem it for something of value, right? You'll redeem it for some money off of that product that you buy. God says we're to do the same thing with our time. Redeem the time. 
Every minute of our time, we're to exchange it for something of value. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul said, I exhort therefore, first of all, that supplication, prayer, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all people. The word all in that verse is pretty clear. It means that we are to pray for all people. We're, for, we're to pray for everybody. Everybody needs prayer, and most people are grateful to receive it. I've had people through the years tell me, Preacher, I pray for you every day. That means a lot to me. I remember some years ago, I preached, first time I think it was, I preached over at Tri-County Baptist before they called me and asked me to come and start the church here. And a lady said to me over there, she said, I'm going to put you on my prayer list and I'm going to pray for you every day. And I was back there several years later and preached again. And she came up to me after the service and she said, I just want you to know I still pray for you every day. What a tremendous blessing. But that ought to be true not just for the preacher. He says, pray for all men. Everyone is in need of prayer. And one of the most effective ways that you and I can redeem our time is to develop a prayer list with many names on it that we pray for people. We're redeeming the time as we pray for them. We can ask them to build as we build our prayer list. You can ask people something like this. You can say to someone, my joy in life is praying for people and watching God answer my prayers. I'd be honored if I could pray for you and your family. And ask them for the names of their family so that you can pray for them. You know what? Very few people will turn down that offer. People want you to pray for them. Especially if they sense a genuine interest in your heart for them. That requires a perfect greeting. Now what's a perfect greeting? Listen to Matthew chapter 5. The Bible says, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans, the tax collectors, the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Well, we'll stop and say, I can't be perfect like God is. How can I do that? Well, take the, the passage of Scripture. What's he talking about? He explains that perfection there. He says, we don't just love those that love us. He put it this way in Matthew 5.45, talking about Jesus. He, he talked about being perfect as our Heavenly Father. He said, For He, our Heavenly Father, maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. If God blesses the evil and the good with His sunshine and His rain, He wants us to, to carry out the same example in our lives by giving a loving, enthusiastic gre greeting to everybody that we come in contact with. You see, we only have one opportunity to make a first impression. And people will instantly discern whether or not they think you really care about them by the facial expressions they, they see when you greet them. And so when we greet other people, we ought to greet everyone just as though they were an old friend. You see, they're dealing with the same fear that we have, the fear of rejection. And they'll be presently surprised when they receive from you that treasured gift of a smile and a friendly greeting. And especially when we ask them to pray for us. In the 1600s, there was a, it was a time when political and religious and social turmoil was going on in England. 
Bitter battles were raged between King Charles I and Parliament over the right of the king to force English citizens to violate their conscience in moral and religious matters. The conflicts finally erupted into civil war. Meanwhile, a poor young man went from village to village repairing pots and pans. He had almost no formal education, but he had a hunger to know God. One day, he heard some women talking enthusiastically and excitedly about their church. It was what they called then a nonconformist church, which meant that it was a danger to attend that church. However, this young man was eager to know about God, and so he showed up at the church. He heard the gospel. He trusted Christ as his Savior. He became a dedicated follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He consumed the Bible, and he was soon giving messages to group of pe- groups of people in the community, and even in his church. However, he was not licensed to preach in the church. So one Sunday morning, two deputies, armed with a warrant for his arrest, stood at the back door of the church. Fully aware of the consequences of his actions, he began his message. He immediately was arrested and put in prison. But his public humiliation was not the worst of his problems. A bitter woman who had determined to ruin his ministry traveled throughout the region spreading false accusations about his private moral life. She accused him of having several mistresses, some of whom she said he had illegitimate children with him. The public ministry of this God-fearing man seemed doomed since he was accused of both immorality and was imprisoned as a lawbreaker. And yet, during the 12 years in prison, he used his time to do something that would change the world. He continued his influence even till today. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he's in prison. And in that day, almost everybody could afford a Bible, also had a copy of John Bunyan's book. It went through 1,300 printings just during his lifetime. He wrote 30 other books altogether. The pilgrims that came to America, they said that they brought with them three books. They brought a Bible, they brought a hymn book, and they brought Pilgrim's Progress. A famous philosopher was asked by King Edward II, why he attended John Bunyan's church. He replied, I would trade all my learning for the power of John Bunyan's praying and the wisdom of his preaching. The power of his praying and his preaching. You see, the trials that he went through brought about the power of God in his life. And God used him in a tremendous way. As we allow the Word of God to transform the fear of rejection in our lives, God will bring power in our lives to influence those around us. Test number two, and i got to hurry, is the fear of failure. We must transform the fear of failure. If I were to ask the average teenager here tonight, do you want to be a success in your life? The answer of most of them would be a strong yes, I want to be a success. If I asked every one of you as adults, would you like to be a success? You would say yes. The problem is most of us don't understand what success is. We usually associate success with people that have lots of money, expensive possessions, prominent friends, and significant influence. And yet none of those are factors of true success. 
Yet the fear of failure will drive us in a futile pursuit of trying to grasp those very things that have nothing to do with success. So this fear that we have, what is our response to the fear of failure? Our natural response, what we normally respond is, first of all, we demand my will in things that I want rather than choosing God's will for the things he wants. You see, if I'm afraid to fail, I'm going to try to get what I want, not what God wants. That's my natural response. The second natural response is reserving for myself the right to make final decisions rather than submitting to God-ordained authority. I have the right to make the final decision. Am I going to yield that right to God and follow his authority and follow the God-ordained authorities that he's put over me? We get into trouble when we think we have the right to make the final decisions. The third natural response is having outbursts of anger when our will or our rights are violated rather than yielding our will and our rights to God. Many times people who struggle with anger have that problem They're not willing to yield their rights to God. That's what's wrong with our society today. We have a society of, of entitlement. I belong. I deserve. You got to give that to me. And it produces anger. The fourth one is building my life around my life and goals rather than around God and his kingdom. See, if I'm, if I'm fearing failure, I'm going to want to do what I think is going to make me successful rather than dealing and yielding to what God will make success in my life. And then the last one is following, following foolish counsel, which results in failure, rather than wise counsel from God, our parents, and others. You see, God has put over all of us authority. And we learn to yield to that authority and to follow that... God can give direction to us, and I, and I say this especially to you young people and you teenagers, God will give you direction for your life through the authority of your parents. And even sometimes your parents may not be saved, but God still can give you direction through their authority if we follow them. Now, what are the lies of this fear of failure? Those are our natural responses. What are the lies that I believe? First of all, the lie that I'm old enough to make my own decisions and do not need the blessing of God and my parents. That's a lie from the devil. I'm old enough to make my own decisions. I don't need the blessing of God or my parents. Isn't it interesting? Me, my, I. We always get in trouble, don't we? What's the middle letter of sin? I. So we get in trouble, don't we? The lie that I'm old enough to make my own decisions and do not need the blessings of God and my parents. Secondly, the lie that I can be the captain of my own ship by trusting my own intellectual abilities. You know, if Satan could deceive Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, what makes us think he couldn't deceive our minds and cause us to make the wrong intellectual decisions? And then thirdly, the lie that the failures I experience are valuable in helping me achieve success. In other words, the devil wants us to have the idea, well, okay, you did the wrong thing, you failed, but that's going to help you to be a better person. 
No, God can use our weaknesses to give us strength. But God uses our failures oftentimes to teach us and direct us in the right way. What are the ramas? What are the verses of Scripture that will transform this fear of failure? First of all, Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, you know the verses. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he what? Meditate day and night. And the end of the verse 3 says, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Meditate on the word of God. That's why we give you verses each, each uh, month. Read them, memorize, meditate. God wants all believers to be successful because true success is achieving the purpose for which God created us. And if we'll get into his word and let God give us direction, he will help us to discover his purpose for our life. And he'll do that as we meditate on those ramas from God's word day and night. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Where does that come from? Observe to do and meditate day and night. If we'll find a rhema from God's word each morning as we read our Bibles, that means we've got to read it to get a, a rhema, a verse from God. And then you may go through your reading and say, well, no verse really stood out to me. Well, just pick one. They're all good, amen? <laughs> you can find one and meditate on it. Memorize it. Build it into your life for that day. As you go to sleep at night, quote it back to God. You'll find that God will enable you to discover the reasons for your purpose and the success that he wants in your life. Psalm 16, 7 says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. When we tear down the four fears and, 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 and look at the lies that are related to them, the Holy Spirit will begin to take the word of God and teach us and help us transform those fears into victory in our life. He'll guide us with insights and decisions. He'll, destruct, he'll instruct us in the way that we should go if we're willing to listen to the Lord. Matthew 6, says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God has a future kingdom in which he will rule all the nations of the world, but he has a present kingdom in which he rules in the lives of us as individual believers. He stated to his disciples in Luke 17, 21, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. God has a kingdom, and that means there's a king, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are laws, the word of God, the commands of Christ in the Bible, and there are subjects to those laws, and that's you and I, the believer who follows them. And Jesus tells us how we can get to know him. He says in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. The more we know Jesus, the more our will becomes God's will. As someone has well said, and I quote, God's will is exactly what we would choose if we knew all the facts. If we knew all the facts. 
the reason for knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and his commands and meditating on them day and night is so that we get to know the facts. John 15, 7 and 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Five-year-old Anthony sat on a dusty front porch of his three-room plantation cabin when he heard the distant siren of a police car To his astonishment, it drove right up his driveway and came to a screeching halt. Two big white policemen got out of the car, adjusted their gun holsters and walked up to the front door. They called out to Anthony's father, Mr. Burris, where are your two older sons? His father answered, I don't know, officer. They then said, where is the molasses you stole from the Johnson farm? To which the father replied, Officer, I do not know anything about the molasses. What happened next scared little Anthony. Both officers pulled out their revolvers and pointed them at his head. Then they demanded, Boy, your daddy stole Mr. Johnson's molasses, didn't he? Anthony froze with fear. He was afraid that if he said anything, he would be killed. The police continued demanding an answer, and he finally blurted out, Yes, sir, yes, sir. And with this confession, the officers handcuffed his father and drove him off for a trial. And he was sentenced to a year in prison. Anthony's family was poor before they lost their father. Now they were really poor. For several years, Anthony couldn't even go to school because all the clothes he had to wear was a dress from his older sisters. The family would always celebrate Christmas on December the 26th. Early that morning, Anthony's father would take two gunny sacks and walk to a nearby town. He would rummage through the garbage cans and search for partially eaten turkeys and other food items. His mother would clean them up and they would sit down and thank God for their Christmas dinner. While growing up, Anthony did not know he was poor, but he did know that he was bitter at all white people. He was trained to believe that he could never achieve anything other than picking cotton or sharecropping. His family moved to Oklahoma, but the dust storms came and eroded a million, a hundred million acres of fertile land. Tens of thousands of families abandoned their farms. His family moved to California in 1934 during the Great Depression. They were told to live in an area where all their neighbors were from other countries, Mexico, Italy, Portugal, China, Philippines, and Laos. He began to learn their languages. When he finally went to college, his teachers were amazed at his language skills. One day, Anthony heard the gospel and was marvelously saved. He asked God to take out the hate that was in his heart and to give him a love for all people. God answered his prayer. Anthony Burris converses in over 30 languages. He taught thousands of public school children and received honors for his linguistic skills. He traveled to other nations telling them of God's love for them. When he knelt down and told children in Russia that he loved them, they cried because they had never heard that from their parents. From the fear of failure, 
Anthony has become an international ambassador of love. God has used him to reach, reach thousands of people around the world because he was able to overcome the fear of failure in his life. You see, we have fears, don't we? And sometimes we think our fears are greater than anybody else. But we all deal with the same things, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure. We'll talk about the fear of poverty and the fear of death. And if we'll let God take his word as we meditate and memorize and build it into our hearts and minds and and life, God will enable us to transform those fears, to have victory over them, and to have God's power in his life, in our life, to touch the lives of many other people. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, we are all made out of the same clay. We all are descendants of Adam. We all deal with these fears in our life. We thank you that there is a way to be transformed. It comes as we memorize and meditate on the truths of God's Word that will bring light to the lies that Satan brings into our heart and mind. Lord, the reason why many of us still struggle with the fears, and and, and all of us will struggle in some ways till we get to heaven and are made perfect, but we can have victory. We can see those those fears transform for the glory of God if we'll fill our hearts and minds with the Word of God, with those rhemas, those verses of Scripture you give to us each day, and the Word of God becomes something that we are not, as we talked about this morning, we're not just filled with the Spirit, but we're filled with the Word. You said, if my Word abide in you, and ye abide in me, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Lord, we are nothing. We can do nothing without you. But what an amazing thing it is that you can transform us through the light of the Word of God. You can help us to see the lies that Satan would implant in our minds. But those lies are only exposed by the light of the Word of God. Help us to get into your word and build it into our lives. Meditate day and night. You said then we'll have good success. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.